Today's episode of The Rewatchables and The Ringer Podcast Network brought to you by Sling TV. Millions of people have cut the cord and started slinging because slinging is about freedom. No long-term contract. Customize your channel lineup. Even change it from one month to the next. Catch the latest shows, live sports, hit movies, starting at just 25 bucks a month. Open up your relationship with TV and start slinging. Go to sling.com slash rewatchable. Special offer for our listeners. 14 days free. When you enter the promo code... Greg Monroe. Oh, no. Ringer. That's sling.com slash rewatchables. Promo code ringer. Not Greg Monroe. Offer available to new customers only. Availability may vary by location. Other restrictions apply. We're also brought to you by the all-new BMW 3 Series. Don't be driven by technology. Drive it. The all-new BMW 3 Series is available with all the latest BMW innovations. What you'll love about this vehicle can't be listed or explained in words, it has to be felt on the road, kind of like how for 30 years, Field of Dreams is held up. Hurry. Go to your local BMW center today. Test drive the all-new BMW 3 Series for yourself. I don't need to be enticed. BMW is my favorite car. It's the best. The all-new BMW 3 Series. Don't be driven by technology. Drive it. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. Hey, Chris, you want to have a catch? Field of Dreams. Coming up next. If you build it, he will come. Daddy, there's a man out there in your lawn. Are you a ghost? What do you think? You look real to me. This field, this game, it's a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good. Hey, is this heaven? No, it's Iowa. Kevin Costner, Amy Madigan, James Earl Jones, Ray Liotta, Burt Lancaster. Sometimes, when you believe the impossible, the incredible comes true. Field of Dreams. All right. Chris Ryan's here. Mally Rubin is here. Hello. Filled with tears. It's already somber already. here. Are you crying yet? No. I will be shortly. Okay. I have no doubt. Good. I'm gonna, no uh, doubt. We're going to make you turn into a faucet. <laughs> I should have brought tissues, actually. I'm not prepared for that aspect of this experience. This movie is 30 years old. I asked Chris yesterday, actually, if he could take any movie hairdo from anyone ever. He picked Costner in Field of Dreams. 89. Yeah. Absolutely. Really? Yeah. Nice yeah. and fluffy in the top, long in the back. Could he just fit any he looks era. great in this movie. And he the does. best part about it is that he just literally is wearing the clothes he wore in Bull Durham. <laughs> he came right off the set. <laughs> there's one There's one scene where he's wearing a white button-up shirt and pleated khakis that he wears in the pool hall in Bull Durham. Like, I think those are his clothes. Mm. Uh-oh. I the, just, the Mother of Dragons is going to weigh in. I just tend to think of his Bull Durham uniform as exclusively... Wearing boxers while ironing. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe yeah. that's just and me. talking about William Blake. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's start with Costner. Um, he's white hot at this point. Yeah. The Costner stretch from '85 to '89: Silverado, American Flyers, The Untouchables, No Way Out, Bull Durham, uh. Field of Dreams, Back to Back, Revenge. Do you like Revenge? Yeah. Dances with Wolves, and and I mean, holy mackerel. I like all of those movies. I even liked Revenge. I really liked American Flyers. I think that's the movie 
in the moment, it was like, that guy's clearly going to be a star. Yeah, it's I don't great. know what happens to Silverado him. Silverado, too. You see him and you're yeah. like, man, this kid has a lot of charisma. Yeah. Um, but then the Bull Durham-Field of Dreams combo. And it's interesting because he almost didn't do Field of Dreams because he had just done Bull Durham. Yeah. Um, let's start here. Has there ever been a more believable baseball player actor? No. No. Definitely not. What's the competition? Wesley Snipes? <sighs> no, Wesley Snipes was a believable. It's like, who's, they had who's to put even in, the in slow motion? Oh, did they? <laughs> yeah. So who's even in the conversation? Um, Redford? I mean, I, Redford had a nice swing in the natural. We talked about that yeah. when we did the rewatch. Yeah, modeling recently. it off of Ted Williams. The funny thing with Costner is he's a catcher in Bull Durham. Mm-hmm. Field of Dreams, he's just a guy who likes baseball. But then in For Love of the Game, like a really convincing veteran pitcher. Yeah. yeah. We got a tease of it here when he's like, try to hit this curve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Already flexing. Yeah. Charlie Sheen was, uh, Rem and I did the rewatchables for Major League last week. And Charlie Sheen was throwing legit 85 in Major League and was really, really, seemed like he could be like the fifth starter in the Orioles right now. Well. I don't know if you'd want that. He, he was also that? on the Roger Clemens Maybe diet. Maybe third starter. Yeah, he was. <laughs> in the Orioles. I think he admitted it. Foster tried to walk on at Cal State Fullerton in college. Like, he was that serious of a baseball player in high school that he tried to actually continue through his college career and mm. wasn't ultimately able to make that team. But he's, you know, a pretty serious baseball player. Yeah. It's a, such an interesting career arc because, you know, in, in a lot of ways when you watch Field of Dreams, what you realize and what you, re- like, especially now, is, like, you just see, like, the space and the boredom and the time and the like the kind of slowness of life that was even just like 30 years ago. Yeah. And in that sense, he as a movie star at that time was perfect because he's really only at his peak there for five or six years. You know, it's not actually like this Tom Hanks, like 10, 20 year run. It's like untouchables pretty much. He's like a big movie star. Yeah. Dances with wolves. He's, Probably the biggest thing in the world, but isn't cool anymore, really. What about Two Socks? I thought Two Socks was the biggest thing in the world. <laughs> but like, you know, when, a wolf. when he does, <laughs> when he does Dances with Wolves, he starts to get into that, like, I'm the director. I'm an auteur now. And then, you know, Waterworld is like the end of that, pretty much. But it's a pretty short run. But back at the time, it felt like he was the only movie star. Bad choices, though, I think at, at some point. He didn't, he got, he got too ambitious, which is fine. But I feel like with 10 Cup, he brought it back a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And then became this guy that it seemed like he almost underachieved a tiny bit for what his superstar potential was. But I still really like his career. Anytime he released a movie, I was always rooting for it. Um, He was somebody also that you would be like, when is he going to do like a Tarantino movie? Or when is he going to be in like a Ridley Scott movie and just really revamp it and become a movie star again? Instead, he's kind of just always wanted to do the stuff that seems like appeals to him. So he's done you know, Hatfields and McCoys or, you know, he'll do like, you know, weird Westerns or quiet that, movies. That Clint Eastwood movie, The Perfect World. Well, that was great. That was like his I think, kind of getting weird. I think. He might have. Yeah. That was his getting weird thing. Where does he rank for you, Mal? Let's start with um, Dream Husband. Let's start with Favorite Actor. Let's start with just, um, is anybody above him? Well, I don't know if this completely answers your question, but the first thing I wrote down in my notes was, raised tight jeans. <laughs> so, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> just as an indicator of the headspace I was in while watching this, uh, he's certainly a personal favorite. I mean, as I think you both know, Bull Durham is one of my two favorite movies of all time. Yeah. And Crash Saving that Davis, for 2020. Yeah, Crash Davis is a very important figure in my life and in my heart. And Kevin Costner is an extremely handsome man yeah. who really knows how to handle that bat. Really mm. knows how to handle that bat. 
he was able to be a guy who obviously went to Berkeley and had like hippie counterculture in him. Yeah. But was like as as like corn fed middle America as they come. Yeah. Like he, he could do that crossover where it was like appealed to cooler cooler kids who listen to the Stones and the Beatles, but also like cooler kids like my parents. Yeah. And then also just like if you saw him in an Iowa cornfield, you'd be like, oh, that's 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 Ray. He's a little weird, but I like him, you know? And there's the third element of that too. Because before he heads out to Berkeley, he grows up in the city in yeah, New York. He's yeah. a New York City boy. So there's literally like every aspect of Americana or most aspects of it accounted for in this one persona, which is part of what allows them to tap into this idea of like what America is and supposed to be across time and space. And he's able to convey it all. Mm-hmm. My wife, probably her favorite actor. Message in a Bottle is oh my God. way up there for her. But um <laughs> I think what's interesting about him, there's only been a couple actors like this where guys would have wanted to hang out with them and women like them. Mm-hmm. And to hit both demos like that as as strong as he hits, he came to the Grantland party once. Yes, I he remember. did. The holiday party. <laughs> and remember. it almost caused a riot. And <laughs> everybody that was there would have dumped their husband or boyfriend in three seconds if <laughs> Costner just looked at them and gone, let's go. It just would have been it. Including my wife. Uh, there was just, like a receiving line, like the Pope was in town. It was unbelievable. It was, just, it was just married women from from Hollywood. He's so charismatic. And that's why, you know, with a movie like this or Bull Durham, it's it's a charisma movie for him. And there just aren't a lot of actors like that. Well, they don't really make movies like this at all anymore. Well, no. I don't know what, what the, this movie now would be, Aliens? Uh, no, it would just have to be like, there would be, it would have to be like a family movie. And there would have to, like the kids would play a much bigger part in it. And they would just, it would have a lot more of like a clear moral rather than mm. maybe there's a place where, where dreams come true. But well, maybe we got to talk about that in the context of yeah. the steroids era. What other actors do you think could have nailed this role? Because I think the list is shorter specifically than Specifically in the steroids era? Let's go past 35 years. Because I think, mm. I think Brad Pitt, maybe? Yeah. 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 Especially if I think he would have I think... He probably would have done like the Moneyball character that he plays basically as Ray Kinsella. Uh, Tom Hanks, I think, could have done it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he could have pulled off the baseball convincingly. Other than that, I'm not sure. Because I think one of the great things about Costner was he could have played the Michael Douglas character in Wall Street. Like he could have ratcheted up for that. He could be the guy in The Untouchables, but he could also be Ray Kinsella in the cornfield. Yeah. And there's not a lot of actors that could do all of those types of characters. Yeah, like you mentioned his charisma earlier, and that's obviously key, but it's also the specific nature of the charisma. It's a very easy charisma. It just feels really natural. Like Mm. in all aspects of the persona, you have to believe fully that this would be a choice this person made or that any person could make, you know, so you have to opt in to the fact that he is a little bit spiritual, but also pragmatic. Yeah. You know, that he is an intellectual and is in possession of this like sincere curiosity but also has this real like sense of self and purpose and he has to also look athletic and handsome and yet like he's somebody who's totally content to just be on a farm with his family and live life in the way that he thinks he's supposed to be living it, not in the way that anybody else. And is you can tell that it has it. like that. They're like his character and him. Ray and Annie have moved to this farm as an extension of like '60s back to the land, like, yeah. like agrarian hippie socialism. Mm-hmm. Like they think it's like a gas to do this. Like you know, they think it's like the right thing to do with their lives. Yeah, Jeff Bridges, I think, could have been in this. I think there's uh, yeah. so there's a one. thing where you know, like Denzel can do the like wet eyed look. But he doesn't do flabbergasted the way that Costner does. Like Costner's flabbergasted is 
it's kind of like a half laugh, almost like on the verge of tears, all, all just like dizzy smile that he does where it's yeah. like, he does it in um, Untouchables when they're like riding the horses towards the bridge in the Canadian border fight. Like, and he's just like, I can't believe this is happening. Yeah. And he does it in Bull Durham when, uh, when she's like, she rejects him and he's like, you're scared of somebody like me because it could be real. Uh, you know, yeah. he has like this like way of, of handling himself that's very unique. Yeah. One of my favorite actors ever. Really like probably top six or seven. He's great. It's and, a, like a hybrid of being able to show wonder, but also f- really like self-assured. Yeah. It also got me thinking like this generation of actors, the newer one that's mm-hmm. like in their prime now. I don't know who the Costner would be. And I don't really feel like we have a Hank. Chris either. Evans. But I don't, I wouldn't have wanted to see Chris Evans in Field of Dreams. No, and he would have played it like really wouldn't. It's yeah, hard to imagine stiff. him being like. I think people wanted Chris Pratt to be Costner, but I don't think. They want him to be Harrison Ford. I don't think Ford. it's there. To who? Harrison Ford. They want, like wow. his, his whole thing is he, supposed to he, be. We know Luke Wilson. Is no, but his Ford. entire persona is built off of Indiana Jones. But yeah, and that's Luke Wilson's corner. Like, stay off of it. <laughs> Luke Wilson's already there. There's nobody else in He's that corner. He's got a 12-pack of Takate. <laughs> He's wearing a golf shirt. So the other big thing with this is the timing of this movie, 1989. Mm-hmm. A great baseball decade. Yes. Really awesome. Except for the cocaine scandal was probably the only uh, crappy thing. But uh, just a lot of good stuff happened. Baseball still moved at a reasonable pace. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there was the, nothing else on, so it didn't matter. There yeah. was nothing else on. <laughs> we had the strike in 1981, and that was like the worst summer of my life. Like, I just, it was 60 days of no baseball and no box scores and no anything, and it just sucked because we had nothing else to do. And you get through that decade, steroids isn't there yet. There was a real innocence about how people love baseball, mm-hmm. and it really was the American pastime. And it's really interesting to rewatch this movie now under the prism of that, where baseball has betrayed our trust. Like James Earl Jones does a big speech at the end, yeah, which we'll yeah. talk about. And it's just such a crazy speech to watch, knowing how many times baseball has let us down over the last 25 years. Do you Did you think that when you watch it? Yeah, but I think what's really interesting about that is that the the story, the movie, the book, it's not asking you to forget that. Because in a way, that's... A key part of the premise. The Black Sox. Yeah, the yeah. Black Sox mm-hmm. scandal and this idea that your heroes could betray you and then if you choose to believe in them anyway, that somebody else in your life who matters to you could tell you that you're wrong for doing that. Yeah. And then the, the regret that person would carry for telling you that you're <laughs> yeah. wrong and how that kind of defines and shapes your life and the way that we build up idols and sometimes they're false idols and sometimes they're not, but how those decisions and our ability as human beings who like care about things with real enthusiasm and passion yeah defines not only our relationship to something whether that something is baseball or your own son or your own father but how those people then relate back to us in turn and so i i think that in a way i found myself thinking about both sides of this wow the sport has really changed the way that we as consumers of the sport has really changed but also there's something eternal about that relationship person baseball fan, sport, and really anything in your life that you choose to spend that much time caring about. That's fair. It's also kind of interesting because I was thinking about when Terrence Mann is doing some of his speeches towards the end of the movie, I'm like, it sounds kind of familiar. And I was like, oh, this is how people were just talking about Tiger on Sunday. Like, we're still susceptible to this shit. Yeah, it's true. We will still, like, go full Roger Angel, like, let's go to the ramparts and protect, like, the things, the core beliefs we have in like what sports mean to people. Right. 
But Roger Angel is a good guy to bring up because this was like the Roger Angel decade, basically. This yeah. is when this is that's why I felt he was at the tail end of his writing, peak, at least. And the way he wrote about it was, you know, there was just such innocence and heartbreak and um, the ties to different generations. We weren't judging guys at all. Yeah, and, but uh, the thing about him, and it, not not to blow smoke up your ass, but it was like I've had this experience a couple of times where like. I read Roger Angel. I read you like in the in the late nineties and the early two thousands. I was like, oh, I didn't know you were allowed to do this. Yeah, where you like you. like you would you would be like he would write about like a spider weaving a web on the corner of a like on a press box wall, and I was like, this is the lead, <laughs> <laughs> right? And I was like thirteen, but I was like, my dad was a journalist, so I knew a little bit about like how p- stories are put together, and I was like, oh my god, you can do this if you're writing about like the expos. Right. And that was like a really, really cool thing. And then in some ways, Field of Dreams was the same way because it was like, you can think about baseball like this. Like, it can be this important. It's okay. They could have thrown him in the in the van with Terrence Mann, Roger Angel. Yeah. That's oh, yeah. the only time I've ever really... <laughs> what's the most you've ever fanboyed out meeting a celebrity? Because Roger Angel was mine. Was he? He, oh. he spoke in Cambridge in like 93 or 94. And I made my dad take me. He did like a reading. And then afterwards, like all these like super nervous people are huddled around him just being like, Mr. Angel. Yeah. And I had my like book, my yeah. five innings book. And he's like, hey, thanks so much for everything. And um, That's just like terrified and, and overwhelmed yeah. to meet somebody like that. Because he was honestly one of my favorite writers. Oh, yeah. And what's crazy is he's still alive. He's like 99. Still going. He's still, still cr- cranking him out. Puts one out every yeah. once in a while, right? Yeah. It's incredible. He, he is like... He might not be a human being. He may he might have he might have been sent to some other planet. And then didn't he write back. something about like the women's march and like like didn't like his because his whole family went, but like he's a little too old to be like yeah. wheeling around doing it. But he like wrote something about it. I, his, I remember that his great really great great grandkids went. I think yeah. and he's, he's writing about that. So this movie was adapted from uh, W. P. Kinsella's novel Shoeless Joe. Uh-huh. Director Phil Alden Robinson had been trying to make it since 1981. Slightly hard to believe he got it made. I don't know if if it doesn't have a big star, if it even gets made. And it seems like they settled on costume pretty quickly. But nominated for three Academy Awards, which I forgot. Best he was trying to get it made for quite a while. For the yeah. whole decade. Yeah. Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Picture. Best Picture. Our nominees that year. Miss, Driving Miss Daisy, Born on the Fourth of July, Field of Dreams, My Left Foot, Dead Poets Society. <sighs> That is a crazy batch of movies. Yeah, it's a great Oscar year. Um, I love my left foot. (laughs) Somehow, somehow Driving Miss Daisy won, which is just just a historic travesty. (laughs) Best actor, Daniel Day-Lewis, Kenneth Branagh, Robin Williams, Tom Cruise, Morgan Freeman. Costner could have snuck in there, I feel like. What do Robin Williams is for what? Dead Poets. He's really in that. That's, That's supporting actor, though, I think. Well, I think they... They shot them. They shot for the the big gun on that yeah. one. But yeah, he he should have been supporting actor. And the best supporting actor, I assume James Earl Jones got nominated and he didn't. And it was Denzel Washington, Danny Aiello for Do the Right Thing, Marlon Brando <laughs> for what? Um, what some South African movie he made back then? I don't even know. I, I didn't write it down. Martin Lando, Crimes and Misdemeanors, which we all love. Oh yeah. And then Dan Aykroyd for Driving Miss Daisy, which is a, just is Denzel a train for wreck. Glory? Yeah, okay. So he won, but I I, I would have snuck James Earl in there. Um, Roger Ebert, four stars. Very positive review. Four stars. Yeah, <laughs> I was so proud of Raj. Very He's having a big comeback review. on the. On did the you see him like researching? Did anybody come out and rip it? Well, so I found this one thing. Premier Magazine last decade named it one of the twenty most overrated movies of all time. 
What year was that? Yeah, this is the mid 2000s. So is this in the clickbait generation yet? Yeah. Okay. And it was probably written by somebody on the younger end, you think? That, well, Premier Magazine doesn't exist anymore, true, and you could me. argue that that was why right there. But that's a thing that's happening, <laughs> is I think that younger people who are discovering the movie for the first time, there's this new-ish wave of coverage, you know, at the 25-year anniversary and now the 30, uh-huh. that's basically like, are we sure this is good? This is super corny. Yeah. And that's I mean, that's not my feeling about it, but that seems to be like first-page Google result territory that we're in right now sure. with the movie, which is kind of a bummer. It's not really surprising, I guess. It's just a lot of the core ideas and the way that those ideas are explored and actually just like the cadence of the language and the way that people interact with each other is is not really how people talk, period, nowadays, but certainly not how people talk about baseball. And It started last decade because I remember Charlie Pierce and I arguing about it like in the early 2000s Mm because he hated Field of Dreams. I think he hated Field of Dreams. I hope I put him in the <laughs> You want to call him? Because no, no, he loved Bill Durham. But there, that that was the first time because I had always felt like Mount Rushmore, Natural Hoosiers, Field of Dreams just had to be on it. Yeah, but for sports movies. This is the thing. And there are some people like, fuck that. That movie's corny. I'm like, what? The worst thing about the last <laughs> 10 years is that we are under the impression that we ha- somehow have to choose between those two movies. Right. Which ones? You can have Bull Durham and Field of Dreams. Totally. Well, there is a best baseball movie ever conversation. Absolutely. Though, that everybody's like, got The idea have. that you can either be one or the other is like only something that we would start talking about in like the last 10 years because it's just like, oh, no way. I am a Crash Davis guy, Ray Kinsella. Screw that guy. He's corny and he <laughs> sacrificed important crops for, for this, yeah. for this psychedelic crop? dream. I like and so I just think it's like, that's ridiculous to have to choose between the two things. I, yeah, I agree with that. I think that what makes the baseball canon special, in particular, even in the sports movie canon, is that every baseball movie is a slice of something about baseball that, you're, yeah. that you care about or love. And each of these films makes a choice about which part of that aspect of fandom or like ethereal religiosity it's going to sure. care about and explore. And this happens to be one that's centered on internal aspects of our yeah. life. And that's meaningful, I think. Yeah. It's it, it it's baseball as a language that you speak with your family members and your friends and like you that goes through generations. And even though like now it's like a lot with the way we talk about baseball is much different. We talk way more about contracts. We talk way more about advanced statistics. Mm-hmm. Uh there are still certain core principles of it that translate like to, so that even if you were somebody who was watching the Black Sox, you'd understand the game if you watched it today. I actually like that James Earl Jones has the giant baseball encyclopedia from the late yeah. 80s. Because <laughs> he's like, like, who the hell is Mel through the pages. Now he would just have like his iPad. Yeah. I think this is less of a baseball movie than the other ones. Hey, to me, this is, obviously it's a baseball movie, but it, it's it's like a life movie. Yeah. Bull Durham's a baseball movie with a romance in it. And it's a borderline rom-com. And whether it's a, we, we'll litigate that when we do our, mm-hmm. our Bull Durham podcast. Major League is like a pure baseball movie. And The Natural is an old school, why we idolize baseball hero movies. So like you add all those together and you have like the full baseball movie package. Mm-hmm. But this one to me is more about life. Like I, I remember yeah. I saw this in college with my friend Jay Morris. And um, we had no real idea what it was about other than we like Costner. And, uh, it, I mean, the last 20 minutes are just unassailable. They're so good. Gutting. And it's like, you, you, you tell me when you want to do this. Yeah, I feel like we can only do it once. 
Chris and I were definitely not texting each other at midnight last night about how we were both I was like, I think I'm okay. I think I'm going to make it. And then it's when when Graham steps over the sideline. I was like, ah, crap. Here it comes. Kills me. But those... uh, the lights and stuff, and it was one of the few times I've been in a movie theater where the credits were going, and everybody was just like, "Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. just that was it." It was like I need medical attention, <laughs> I need water, <laughs> I need some electrolytes. Uh, it just was, it was just so good. It was one of those things, you know. It was, it was one of those places like I remember the movie theater I saw, it, you know. And there's not a lot of movies like that. For as timeless as it is, it's actually prefixed in a time like it. It. You know, I talked to my mom a lot about this movie because she was around the age that Ray is in this movie and had similar issues with her dad who were like, you had guys coming back from World War II and then their kids were were countercultural or at least like, you know, they were, they were, they were anti-war, they were hippies, they were listening to like rock and roll, they were expressing themselves in ways that never happened before. And a lot of them had falling outs with their fathers who were just like, I don't understand. Like I, you know, I came back from World War II and tried to build something and you're rejecting it somehow. Now, of course, there were all these other things happening that made that the case. But I thought that that was really interesting that that's like the, this is about boomers. And I think we probably all like look back on boomers and we're like, thanks a lot. But you know, this was this is a very specific story, and his story of like rejecting his dad and going through the counterculture and then trying to be a father himself is a really, really recognizable one. Well, it's basically every Bruce Springsteen concert. Yeah, yeah. When I was growing up, yeah, it was just being my guitar. My dad hated it. <laughs> yeah, but it's like it tapped in a lot of that. Let me ask you, Mallory. Yes. This is a father and son movie, basically, at the root of its core. Mm-hmm. Fathers and sons connecting through baseball, which is also kind of the theme of. Uh, of the natural. Mm-hmm. You were a mother. I mean, you, I'm sorry. <laughs> you were a daughter and a dad, but you had the same baseball relationship. Yeah. When you watch these movies, did you just put yourself in the man part or did it make you mad that there wasn't a daughter and dad movie? Well, I think it is a daughter and dad movie because of Karen yeah. as well. So that's, oh. that's part of what I think works so. The adorable Karen. Gabby. I mean, crushing it for movie one. (laughs) I I have that coming up later. Just an incredible daughter performance by her. But I, you know, I really agree with what Chris just said about it being anchored in a moment in time. And obviously the 60s plays a huge part in Ray's identity and and Annie's identity. But I think that it is simultaneously timeless and genderless. And that's part of what makes it so lasting and so meaningful to so many people is that you can cast yourself into really any of those roles. You You can relate to Ray. You can relate to Annie. You can relate to John. You I'm can super relate into to Terry. Timothy Busfield right now. You know, <laughs> the bus. He's back. You can when relate did those to the baseball players. Get here, book burners. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. anyone. Eva Braun. And yeah. you know, for for me, baseball was is one of the most important things in my relationship with my dad. Yeah, you know, and it's how I fell in love with sports but also really with storytelling yeah you know <laughs> <Here we go. laughs> what time is it 9 30 right. how many minutes in 26 are we? minutes in oh no <laughs> this is gonna be a tough two hours i some of my earliest memories of thinking about stories in any capacity any shape or form are my dad 
talking to me about the Orioles, about Earl Weaver and the three-run homer. My first memory of going to a sporting event is him taking me to Memorial Stadium before they tore it down. And so when I'm watching this movie, I'm not thinking, oh, it's a father and a son and I'm not a part of that. I'm thinking this is two people who shared something special and something pushed them apart for a while, but ultimately this force in their lives brought them back together. Uh, it's time for the nominees for most rewatchable scene. We're going to do the categories. Okay. This is presented by Slink TV, the best place to watch and rewatch new and classic movies, including quite a few we've discussed on this podcast, plus current hit shows, kids' favorites, and of course, live sports. What's a streaming service without live sports? I don't have an answer. Watch on your TV phone or tablet wherever, whenever, for a small fraction of what you pay for cable. It's broken the TV bundle, the traditional TV bundle. Customize your channel lineup. From one month to the next, watch what you want, where you want, where you want. No commitment, contract, or cancellation fees. They've created a special ribbon for us. Wonderful. In the Slink TV app. It's just a mallet and crying. <laughs> <laughs> with a bunch of movies we've done in the rewatchables, paired like a fine wine with the corresponding episodes of this podcast. Fast Five, Pretty Woman, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Reality Bites, Days of Confused, Rounders, Jurassic Park, many more. Uh NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, baseball season, all underway. Don't miss out on that. Don't miss out on our rewatchable stuff. There's a better way to watch TV. It's with Sling. Sign up. Sling.com slash rewatchable. Special offer for our listeners. 14 days free. Enter promo code ringer. Sling.com slash rewatchables. Promo code ringer. Offer available to new customers only availability. May vary by location. Other restrictions apply. And now for the nominees. Ray meets Shoeless Joe. Mm-hmm. Is it seven? No, it's Iowa. Ray Liotta. Wanted to give us a little Liotta really quick? Just an imitation? It's a year before Goodfellas. Yeah. He's but done, he's got some steam. He was in Something Wild. Something right? Wild. Yeah. It's like, who's that guy? He was he was like a critic's darling. Yeah. You know, every some of these actors hit that point where it's like, oh, that guy's going to be something. And he was right in that kind of wheelhouse. Still has never seen this movie. Right. Yeah. And thought the script was... Silly, right? Really dumb. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, my favorite thing about, I, we could talk, I, I don't know if we're going to get to this later, but I, w- I do want to say Chantix. that. Well, Chantix. I thought it was great that Leota plays Joe Jackson like a guy from 1989. Yeah. Rather than, mm-hmm. look, see, I want to play baseball. See, like, rather than like some of the other Black Sox guys who were out there. Jimmy Cagney. <laughs> yeah, just because like, I think that it would have been easy uh, to be like, what are all this corn doing here? I'm used to Comiskey Pack. <laughs> You know, like he he plays it like a really sensitive kind of like do-eyed guy. And I think it's perfect because he does seem like a ghost in this. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't know if he is. Do you think they, they should have filmed a Chantix commercial with Ray Liotta in the cornfield? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> what do you think it would have been like if uh, second half of Goodfellas Henry Hill had come out of the cornfield? <laughs> <laughs> Super jumpy. Helicopters up there. It's going up. They're coming to get me. So that was the one. Uh, Ray goes to Cambridge in his awesome Volkswagen van and meets Terrence Mann. I was hoping I wasn't going to have to do it this way. What the hell is that? It's a gun. What do you think it is? It's your finger. No, it's not. It's a gun. Yeah, let me see it. Get out of here. I'm not going to show you my gun. Now, look, I'm not going to hurt you. I just need you to come with me for a little while and. What are, you, what are you doing? I'm going to beat you with a crowbar, and then you go away. Whoa, wait. You can, 
That whole scene is really great. Yeah, through the, up, the up, slam through, the door, slam the door, door yeah. doors slightly ajar. Is that a gun in your pocket? Yeah, it's and really funny. Terrence Mann flips really fast. Like, hey, can I get your soda? Because, but <laughs> cookies, you know, in but like you know, once he gets in the door after he tells him at the end of the movie, like I did give that interview. You know, once Ray gets in the door, that Terrence is like, I believe him because he yeah. starts talking about John Kinsala. Mm-hmm. Great suspenders. By him. Suspenders and belt from J.E.J. You two have spent a lot of time in Boston, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. I have to ask you this question. Yeah. Are there that many Jewish people there? Yes. (laughs) I was really struck by that watching. Really struck. It's like half of Brooklyn. Yeah, Brooklyn's like that. Yeah. Yeah. Hebrew letters on the windows? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. But okay. come toward Boston. Apparently, <laughs> that was filmed in Dubuque. Yeah, they they never did the why. It seemed like there was a lot of after the fact wide I, shots. I mean, of, I think they must have obviously done stuff. Yeah, in they, Fenway, they did some, But the, the I think where James Earl Jones lives is in Dubuque. Like all that because yeah. And I was because I was watching that. And I was like, "There's not God, that, this looks not, good." And I was like, yeah, "Oh, this must have been some place where they could like wet down the streets and stuff." Um, they go to Fenway. Something happens on the scoreboard. James Earl Jones pretends he doesn't see it, drops him off. You turn around. He's standing in uh-huh. the street. Great. Moonlight Grum! <laughs> you saw it! Moonlight Graham. You saw it! Saw what? You saw it! New York Giants, 1922. He played one game, never got to bet. You saw it. What did I see, Ray? Chisholm, Minnesota. We were the only ones who saw it. Did you hear the voice, too? That part's amazing. I love it. Um, The nighttime scrimmage with Archie. The first time Frank Whaley walks out there? Yeah. The ghosts are just playing 930 at night. Using the lights. (laughs) It's incredible. (laughs) Amy Madigan turns them on for them. Uh, That whole scene is is I really enjoy that. That's like the most baseball that we have in the movie. That's like it's a, basically like a four minute baseball scene. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that when the uh, the thing I love is when Leota first shows up, uh, and he's hitting him fly balls. I gotta say, I don't think I could hit if a ghost baseball player showed up in my backyard. I don't know that I could <laughs> hit him fly balls. Like it's been a while. You wouldn't go right into fungo mode. He had been prepping, though. Yeah, he had been so. prepping. So you he think he's, out there. You think he's out there? He's taking like, BP just, every yeah, day ready. in case an early 20th century baseball player shows up. I got to get my fly ball technique down. Yes, except one caveat. The only thing that happens there that makes me think he's not ready to instantly go into game mode is that he's wearing Timberlands. <laughs> <Which is laughs> but he wears those the entire movie. I checked. Why, though? I don't know. Because I was like, this guy probably wears Chucks. You know, I mean, like this, or this guy wears like just like like a pair of Nike running shoes, and it's Timberlands the entire time. It's really, really strange. Yeah. The James Earl Jones speech. Yep. Yeah. We we'll get to that later, and then uh, the actual ending. So when the ending, those starts are my six with, nominees. Unless you want to add anything, I don't know if you're. I had a few are more. you into the Beulah, Annie Beulahs? You can't just pad rewatchable stats. They have to like be the OGs rewatchable. To be well, fair, these so are scenes we, are like basically 15-minute sequences. That's what, that was yeah. one of my questions. So are we, when you say the entire ending, are we not isolating Moonlight's sacrifice and 
Catch with Dad. Moonlight two separate scenes. Its own scene. Okay. okay, so then that's got to so be so Karen there. falling yeah, okay. and Moonlight saving her is one scene, and then oh yeah, that's that fun. has right. to be oh, there. Okay. Then has to be. Yeah, I have I have some thoughts on that scene. Oh, okay. Yeah, I have some. Uh, I I do really like just the opening kind of catch up montage. I love it. It's, it's really it's, it goes really so good. wrong in so many movies, and that one it's actually <laughs> yeah. like oh this is good. One of the yeah. secretly best parts about this movie is that the voice comes in the first scene. Yeah. There's not like a 30-minute buildup of like life in, on farming in Iowa yeah. and yeah. like a couple of like, you know, fake B, C, D plots about like what it's like to be a, a farmer. Dropping like, Annie off at school. I'm in, the, I'm in the field and the voice comes. And then the way that they do it, while it is kind of funky, Amy Madigan is such like a quirky lady that you could totally see her buying it. Yeah, she just seems like she's done a lot of Like, jokes. my wife would not buy it. <laughs> yeah. If I was just like, guess what I just heard? She would I don't just feel like, like she smoked enough weed in this movie, but you know she, you know that she had some special yeah. patch in the cornfield. Yeah, she's got her vape <laughs> pen with her at all times, I'm sure. I mean, she does ask him, you sure this isn't an... <laughs> like the and she's like, maybe it's a flash forward. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what else did you have? Um, Ray meeting Moonlight for the first time and when they walk back to oh, his can I, office can I walk with you yeah that entire conversation is poetry and even though it is actually quite removed from the ultimate emotional climax of the film I, I think it's it's some of the most uh, resonant dude the, when they when they when they rack focus in it the godfather is on the marquee yeah yeah <laughs> One of the year's 10 best. (laughs) Yeah. Come on, man. Yeah, that's the thing about that whole sequence is it's one of the parts of the film. It it, it is emblematic of the magic realism. Yeah. Where the surrealist nature of how the story is being told works seamlessly and you opt in without question. And yet, ultimately, to your point about is this a fantasy story? Is this a story about baseball? No, it's a story about life. And, of course, the best fantasy stories, Mm -hmm. best sports stories best any stories are going to be about life that's when it all works in perfect harmony because we get some of our best philosophical insights in that exchange too about basically the meaning of life and what anybody is pursuing or looking for at any given moment in time and how it haunts you if that passes you by yeah last burst lancaster movie supposed to be jimmy stewart or at least offered to jimmy stewart you stepped on half ass in our research. Jesus, Chris, play by the rules. Uh, what is crazy about this movie is he's just like, oh, cool, it's 1972, and it's like not ridiculous That's at perfect. all. perfect. It's great. It's like, oh, yeah, we've gone backwards 17 years. Great. This is why it is more of a fantasy movie than a baseball movie, yeah. in my opinion. Uh, so what's the most rewatchable scene? I gotta it's go, a tough one. I got to go with um, the most rewatchable scene, I think, for me, is 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 when he goes to Boston because it's just like mm-hmm. a really, really, they have great chemistry. And um, I think that it's really evocative of like this reclusive countercultural icon who's now just like surrounded by tapes and books and just wants to be left alone. I love yeah. like the locks on his doors. That's like a rewatchable scene. I only say that because basically the last 30 mo- minutes of this movie, I can only watch like once every 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's also like it's not like I'm like let's just dial this up on YouTube and like cry it out, you know. I've seen this movie a lot, and uh, I've seen it enough times that now him going to see Moonlight, uh, uh, um, Terrence Mann for the first time, that is now my favorite yeah. scene. Yeah, it's just like a really well written, well acted five minutes, and I just like it, and I like those two together. 
And you could have given me four hours of deleted scenes of them just driving in the van. Yeah. Just <laughs> yeah. making small talk. I also love the- <laughs> You uh, hungry? Not really. 1989 era research. So he couldn't Google Terrence Mann in baseball. So he had to go right. through the <laughs> entire library to yeah. find like an old interview where he mentions Ebbets Field. I mean, that was the case in 93, 94 sure, too. Yeah. That really didn't flip until the late 90s. Yeah. I thought it just that moment though, when he's just like, you gave an interview where you said Brooklyn. And he's just like, I don't even remember thinking that. It's right. so heartbreaking for him. And then he goes, oh, you're from the 60s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think was most rewatchable? Um, for me, it's it's Moonlight crossing the crossing the line mm-hmm. to save Karen. And then <laughs> Ray saying, oh my God, you can't go back. That just kills me. Every yeah. single time. I actually think about that. That's the first thing I think about when I think about the movie, more so than the catch with dad at the end. That's actually, to me, the emotional gut punch and high point of the entire film because I think that's where every single theme and central tension of the movie is actually like what you fully give, uh, realized. But, yeah. You know, the idea of, of what, you're, what you're pursuing, what you're chasing, hope, purpose, sacrifice— where we find meaning in our life, all of it is just right there in that Sneaky one Sneaky good, great scene is when they pick up Frank Whaley hitchhiking too. And yeah. they're just like, I need good karma. And then he's like, I hear there are towns like where they'll give you a day job and you can play baseball in the week. I mean, and you're just like, what is this guy? <laughs> Who is this guy? Why does he look like he's in Stand By Me? And you're like, oh. I'm going to ruin that scene for you later. Okay. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. Nice little Frank Whaley moment. Oh, great. Nice little stretch here for him. The doors? Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. What's What's, your pick? My pick is, though, when he sees Terrence Mann for the first time. I love that scene. I also love, I I mean, really, the pick is the James Earl Jones speech. It's just incredible. All the ghosts stop playing baseball. They're watching him. He does, he just crushes it. Yeah. Baseball's a part of us, Ray. (laughs) What's age the best? James Horner's score. Uh-huh. Unequivocally. Yeah. I mean, arguably who won the movie. I mean, stolen, it's so good. Stolen over and over again in, in sporting events, other movies, documentaries, yeah. trailers. It's just had a long 30-year run. It's also like, the, like it plays for five seconds and you're like, I need to excuse myself. Yeah. Like, it's, it's just like got such an incredible uh, like, like sense memory to it. I think this is the first time that I've watched this movie with surround sound speakers. Yeah. It had been a long time since I'd seen it. Yeah. And to hear the different pops of the different instruments and surges and the tension from different speakers in the room, it's like you do feel like you are in a stadium. And He's got to do something so and- hard in the end, too, because there is essentially three moments in the last 20 minutes that would be the emotional climax of any other movie, right. and they have to, like, double it and then triple it right. in the last 20 minutes. And True. the music does that. Yeah, there's a couple of great scores during the stretch because I think Shawshank had, you know, was another oh, one yeah. that had an iconic score. But there's just certain certain movies where you just hear the music and it feels like it's hard to imagine the movie if it didn't have the score. And I think this is one of them. I would have played for nothing. I like when Shoeless Joe says that. <laughs> yeah. Now we have all these spoiled guys. They Go get paid. Bryce Harper. Just getting cash and checks. So we're talking about- Shoeless what? Joe would have played for nothing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a personal thing, but late 80s Fenway Park really, really got to me. Yeah. Yeah. Ar- was that Archway? Is that the name of the, the caterer that was there at the time? Yeah, like, it just, you know, it's just... You see that it's two dogs and two beers for seven bucks? All of it. It's just, there weren't a lot of movies filmed at Fenway Park. And this was probably the best time. To, it was right there in the Joe Morgan 
the Morgan Magic. Yeah, what's the 88 team like? Morgan Magic. Yeah. That was 16 straight during that summer. Is it like Ellis Clements. Burks and Mike Greenwell? Yeah, yeah. It was a, that was a really fun team. And then uh, the A's just kicked our ass. But I really <laughs> like that that stretch. The house, the Kinsella house. That's such like a, a top cool house. seven or eight movie Incredible. house, right? Yeah. Still exists in the form that it was in back then. But that's one of those houses like... If you just had that property and you put it in LA, it would be like $700 million. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> the highest priced house before I really like it. I really enjoy the what the White Sox ghost busting Ray's balls when she calls for <laughs> yeah. dinner. Dinner! 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 Ray! Dinner! 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 So I like that he has this chemistry with the ghost. That's great. He's on the team. That'd uh, be amazing if he turned around and was like, how about I plow this whole field? Yeah. You guys go back to hell. Fuck you guys. <laughs> Cheaters. Uh, <laughs> my farm, my rules. Yeah, so he was more of a dick. What if he guy. like did that whole thing where he was just like, I like, uh, like he gets to be the best player. So he was being like right. out there, like smashing home. playing with yeah. them. Um, Gabby Hoffman is the daughter. Mentioned her earlier. All time adorable. Yeah. Incredible. It's her and Hayden Panettiere and remember the Titans in the finals of Cutest Daughters. I remember maybe Chums, Chumsley, Anna Chumsley. In which in, movie? Uh, in uh, what's the one with the Macaulay Culkin and the bees? Well, that's not My a sports girl. movie though. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going sports oh, movies okay. only. Yeah, if we we're opening it up, Macaulay Culkin. I mean, there's a lot of there's been a lot of cute kids. This one, I remember when my daughter was this specific age, yeah. and it's probably like age six. My daughter at age six is my favorite human being who's ever lived. <laughs> I just absolutely would go back in time. My field of dreams would be to go back then. just to hang I'm out sorry. with my six-year-old daughter. <laughs> yeah. They're just so adorable. They're really they're smarter than they should be, but they're still super innocent and they just seems like they want to hang out. They yeah. love everything. Yeah. They're just in. There's a precociousness to Karen that is very winning. It's great. Yeah. It's just nice to see uh, that age represented in a movie. Terrence Mann, incredible character. Little really? James Baldwin meets uh, J.D. Salinger in the book. It's J.D. Salinger, Salinger in the book, yeah. right. So they were afraid that if they used Salinger in the film that they would get sued. I think he made them afraid. Yeah. yeah. So, voice of the 60s, got disenchanted by the 70s, civil rights pioneer, major player in the anti-war movement, hung out with the Beatles and Bob Dylan, marched with MLK, made the cover of Newsweek, coined the phrase, make love, not war. Did we have a writer like this? No, I, wish I mean, we had are, a Terrence Mann. There are guys like Baldwin, Norman Mailer, mm-hmm. you know, who were around back then who did a lot of that kind Terrence of writing. Terrence Mann would have done really well. Yeah. As I mentioned earlier, the whole movie for me could have been Costner and James Earl Jones just driving in the Volkswagen van <laughs> talking about um Can I throw each a What's shit. Age the Best in? Yeah. Uh, uh, the Annie Ray relationship. Great marriage. Good marriage. Really, Very really supportive. believable couple. Yeah. Uh, really great chemistry. Were you going to say something? I'll save it. I, I just think it's picks. like very realistic, <laughs> like even like the what she wears to go to bed. You know what I mean? Like her, her like one of his old t-shirts is what she, she wears. It seems like they have a lot of history. Yeah. Um, I like son of a bitch died before I could take it back. Oh, Christ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that scene, that scene's kind of gut-wrenching. Yeah. It's like, what's the meanest thing you could say to your dad? She was Joe Jackson's a criminal. It's like, whoa, <laughs> what the fuck? That's also a <laughs> whoa. Now you've crossed the line. I love that moment where he's just like, 
why didn't you, uh, like, what, what, why did you have, like, a falling out with your dad? And he's just, like, looking at the wheel, and he's like, that's when I read The Boat Rocker by Terrence yeah. Man. He's like, no, don't, don't you hang that, that shit. Like, I, it's not my fault you wouldn't play catch with your father. Uh, all their scenes are really good. Really, really, really high, high level. It's just high PER. Yeah. I like Busfield walking across the field and interrupting, not knowing the ghosts are there and the ghost starts That's chasing them after. <laughs> it's just really good. And I actually don't know how they timed it. It doesn't seem like there are special effects with it. Yeah. The pitcher threw it. It just missed him and the batter had to swing and miss. But all that was really realistic. Anything else uh, age the best for you? Costner's hair? Everything about Costner. Again, I just would like to... Bottle him? Pay a, pay a moments of worth of attention to the jeans. <laughs> <laughs> the tightness of the jeans. It's they don't make those like that anymore, right? No, they certainly don't. Um, I think <laughs> <laughs> I think disgruntled writer as plot point has aged really, it's really great. well. Great point. Yeah. yeah. And this idea of the recluse who is you're you're finding him at this fulcrum, this pivot point between when he was this force of nature in the world who influenced everybody's life and when he is now going to get to benefit Mm -hmm. from other people influencing him in some way. And the way that his writing is discussed, you know, particularly with with Ray and Annie, but this just aura that, that kind of pulsates over every conversation about him leading up to the meeting in particular, that is obviously about literature and the weight of storytelling, but it's also a stand-in for baseball and the role that that sport and any kind of tradition and, and pillar of American society plays in our life. And it's just incredibly effective in basically every way. And I think just more broadly, this is like overly simplistic, but what what's aged the best is just like the themes of the movie, mm-hmm. you know? I mean... Or you could say they've aged the worst. Do you think so? Holy shit. What a take. Why? Let's let's dive into that a little. I was gonna get. <laughs> can we hold it for yeah. what's age the worst? Sure. Yeah, we can go. We'll we'll debate the point there. Perfect. Give me a what's age. Give me your what's age the best. Finally, give you your pick. coming up next. I'm gonna tell you why fathers and sons aren't as interesting as you may think. I got this. Hold on. Are you are you lumping in like America and the idea of the American pastime there as well, or is that separate? We'll hold it for what's age the worst. What's okay. age the best for you, Chris Ryan? I'm gonna go Amy and Ray. Okay. Amy and Ray. I'm going to go with the blend of the the magic realism and the role of hope and purpose as mm. a driving force in somebody's life. It sounds like Bill's going to dissuade you of that notion. <laughs> <laughs> what is the best for you, Bill? Karen? Late 80s Fenway Park, but that's a selfish, mm-hmm. selfish pick for just You know what me I only. just realized just we really missed like out on in this movie Fenway. too? Like, what? Timing-wise, we wouldn't have been able to get it, but it would have been great if we could have gotten one... Ray Liotta walking off the field going, Karen! (laughs) (laughs) That was everything we had, Karen! Why did you do that? (laughs) (laughs) What's age the worst? Baseball. Okay. Playing off your point. The big theme in this movie, everything leads up to the James Earl Jones speech, which is awesome. And how baseball is the American pastime and it's a part of us and the country ebbs and flows, but the one constant is baseball. And that has not aged well. Because I don't think that's the case anymore. So. Sorry, Mal. But to your own point from this very podcast, 
right here today. Yeah. If you don't want it to be a baseball movie, that's okay because it can be a life movie, right? So the maybe baseball as a vessel for exploring these ideas has not aged well in your mind. I think uh, baseball is eternal. And, I, you know, if no, I look— if I, I look, think it has aged well. I, I don't—I'm not saying that. I'm just saying his point about baseball in 1989 was an incredible point. It was mm-hmm. totally true. It was like, all oh, this shit's happened, but we've always had baseball. Yeah, right? the role— And now it's like, look, but all, is it now all you, this shit's happened in baseball. But I think that the one thing that's resonant is this idea that the country now, like it was in the late 60s, like it probably always has been in different ways, but in, in, a, in a very like pointed way now, is in turmoil, right? And that even if it's not baseball— and even if when you go to sports, it itself is a sociopolitical minefield or, or like a rhetorical minefield where everybody's arguing their best takes and stuff like that. But that obviously, like, we still love sports on a right. really, like, That's elemental fair. level. And and it just maybe isn't as, like, collectively shared. Like, what what happened to you when the Red Sox won happened to Mays when the Cubs won right. happened to me when the Eagles won the Super Bowl? You know, like... It happened to you when the Ravens won the Super Bowl. Like, it, it doesn't have to be your baseball team doing well. Or By the whatever. way, shout out to Mace, who would have been on this podcast if he <laughs> hadn't moved wow. and quit on us four years ago. That's a late switchblade to the gun. Um, <laughs> it's like a no, but I'm saying, like, I just think we spend most of our time with baseball now mm-hmm. talking about what's wrong with baseball and how to fix baseball. And why did this have to happen with baseball? And, oh, shit, this happened. And then you have this counter of, like, Hey man, I still like baseball. Is that cool? And there's more like a struggle. Here's my in 1989. There was no struggle. Tell People me if you were think like, this, I love baseball. This period. read is right. So I think that the way of thinking about baseball, that the this field of dreams style of thinking about baseball peaks with Sosa and McGuire and then gets completely destroyed when that is turned out to be horseshit. And it was never the same. And because I remember the Lupica book. Summer 98. And I was like, this is like incredible. I was like blown away by it. I remember. This is, that book is now a comedy. And now you get, you, it's unbelievable to, yeah. to read that now, knowing what we know now. And between that and the fact that most of the, the conversation around baseball is largely about numbers and. How do we fix and it? And fixing it. Right. Rather than like. What's wrong with it? Let's just let this like elementally perfect pastoral thing take place. I think that, and that's my point. Yeah, that's com- that's completely like almost inarguably true, but I still think that the ultimately the message about baseball is not about the purity of the game no. as a creation. Yeah, it's yeah. about how the game allows you to unlock something in your life. Some uh, some aspect, some understanding about something about yourself or other people or the way that you relate to to them or to your own identity and you know that that line about it's a part of our past that's still true and i think that element of the timeless nature of just investing in something that still really appeals and and speaks to me and i think if you just sort of make the mental shift of it's not necessarily the baseball itself that that holds up but this idea of how history shapes the present and the future right and that something that you care about can still be this portal to something else in your life. Yeah. That is like an eternal message. And let's I not think be, we're both right. Let's not yeah. be naive. I mean, like the things that, you know, in the 80s, you started seeing gross Astrodome st- style stadiums. You had Pete Rose. You had 
you know, like all this stuff happening. Cocaine. Yeah. And l- let's not put too fine a point on it. Terrence Mann wouldn't have been allowed to play in the majors. You know what I mean? That's a, like this, a moment that you don't really, they don't really acknowledge is, right, is like. That, it's coming up. Yeah. So it's like baseball has stains all over it, just like America has stains all over it. And, yeah. And um, I think that there is still, though, what Mal, something to what Mal is saying, where it's actually, it's, it's like there are certain parts about baseball that doesn't matter who's playing it. It's like, the space in the game because it's like there's a lot of like changeover. There's a lot of like waiting in between things happening. Uh-huh. There's like an element to which it's like a rural game usually held in a city. You know, it's like largely like parks, but all the all the teams are in cities. That's a great point. And it's like you're you're leaving behind a certain kind of way of living for like four hours just to like be around the grass. Right. You know. They, there's parts of it that are just never going to change. That that's a really great point, and that's why the setting is just so inspired and so perfect. Like you look at the movie and the cinematography I think has aged really well. Yeah, and I agree. It's just literally like, oh, what's nothing's more American than apple pie. Well, like literally nothing's more American than a cornfield in Iowa. in Iowa, right? And so many times in the movie, somebody talks about the smell, mm-hmm. you know, the smell of, of the, a glove. the glove by your face or the feel of the grass in your feet. And that, that visceral like physicality to the thing that allows you to connect with it, that that has aged well. Yeah. That part of it. All right. There's almost a nostalgia for it in an era where digitally we're just removed from everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what just- else has aged the worst? First 20 minutes, a little slow. We we'll sped it up by three minutes. <laughs> you the, don't uh, like the, the oh, he's suddenly in a Christmas sweater and we're realizing <laughs> how much time has passed? <laughs> yeah. That always makes me laugh when he's in the <laughs> Christmas sweater. Like, the- what's the field maintenance like after the winter? It's Jesus. like you have to resod that whole thing. <laughs> Um, Costner driving while drinking from a coffee mug really seems old for the some thermos, reason. It just yeah. never happened. Thermos is classic. The things like Lynn still does that. Who does? Juliet. Really? <laughs> yeah, she'll have like a mug in her car. Yeah, yeah. The uh, that's all I got. I don't think a lot of this movie has aged badly. Do I have, have two small ones. Okay. One con- concussion protocol. Oh. Because <laughs> when Karen falls. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, she's choking on the hot dog. No, she's I get fine. it. But like check her head and neck. She fell from the top of the bleachers. Maybe general practitioners were just better back then. They this could just child be like- is choking. Okay. Can you look at the back of her head and her neck? He really does solve it fast. <laughs> Kids are pretty durable though, right? I know. The, the just, blue lips gave it away. But somebody who once had a six-year-old daughter, that kid's crying for 10 minutes. Yeah. She recovers really fast. Yeah. There's a really gamer. no tears at all. Yeah. Uh, the, the next one is small. And it's just kind of, uh, you know, as well, members of the media, obviously, made me just a little sad. Uh, saying, I mean, he made the cover of Newsweek as <laughs> oh. de- definitive proof for somebody's relevance yeah. and celebrity. Yeah. Whew. We're a long way removed from that. Casting what ifs. The internet claims Tom Hanks was originally offered the role of Ray Kinsella and yeah. turned it down. Uh, nobody knows if this actually happened. If I ever have him on a podcast, I'm going to ask him. They uh, did not consider Costner originally. They didn't think he'd want to follow Bull Durham. Um, he became interested, thought it would be this generation's It's a Wonderful Life. I kind of feel like that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Mm. What is this generation? What is that generation's It's a Wonderful Life? It's probably this movie. There's a lot of strands of Jimmy Stewart yeah. in here, especially with you know the the... The Harvey. I think that the, there was a there was a kind of Hollywood movie that that was being made in the late eighties. A lot of times they were like made by Castle Rock, where it was like 
city slickers, this big that were like real like throwbacks to that kind of Capra movie. And then Robin Williams unsuccessfully tried to make that movie like yeah. four different times. Yeah. What dreams may come. I yeah, think that was the a worst. little bit more psychedelic, I yeah. think, than Frank <laughs> That was Capra the worst version got. of this movie. Uh, James, Jimmy Stewart, ironically, was the original choice for Moonlight Graham. Yeah. Uh, turned it down, and that's why they threw him in the movie. You mentioned the J.D. Salinger thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Burt Lancaster turned it down. Changed his mind. A friend, a baseball fan, told him he had to do it. So there you go. Hmm. Deanne Waiter's award. This is actually pretty tight. So... Yeah, let's do it. I don't think James Earl Jones is eligible. For no, 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 no. Frank Whaley I really liked, but I don't feel like it Great was a Deion Raiders performance by him. Um, Busfield's pretty good. He's doing the most. <laughs> He's, He's, it's a lot of the same. Fran, uh, what's what's Coster's? Ray. Ray. Ray, you got to sell the farm. Got to sell. My partners have a great deal. Ray. Yeah. Ray, <laughs> Ray. <laughs> When, when Annie hangs up the phone, why didn't you tell him? Yeah. Do so you- I, w- I would say Busfield, but one of the White Sox guys I really liked. I have Art LaFleur. <laughs> Is that- <laughs> says Chick Gandel, the first oh, baseman. Oh, yeah. Chick Gandel, the first I, baseman. I put this uniform on. You got a cigarette? <laughs> yeah, I do like all, that guy. All of those guys are great, but yeah, he's a- I haven't had a cigarette for 16 years. I'm only thinking of this because we're talking about the Busfield character. Do you remember doing the bills at a kitchen table? Like paying your bills and like having all of them out and like going oh, through yeah, and balancing yeah, yeah. your checkbook. Yeah. I re- like have vivid memories of my parents doing that yeah. and then fighting. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll give we'll give Busfield yeah. the waiters award and then we'll give the Joey Pants award to uh who is the guy? Art LaFleur? Yeah. Because so I don't know don't who think, that guy you is. You don't think Gabby gets the Gabby's the on Dion. my list as well. Gabby Hoffman. Oh, Karen. that's interesting. Yeah. I don't do you feel like it was like a heat check by her? That's pretty good. I kind of like that. Every moment is a heat check. She's great. <laughs> Every She's moment. really good in this. She's great. I really feel like my daughter at age six was as great as she was. I used to bring my daughter to Kings games. She'd yell at the goalies. I feel like, I feel like Karen would have done that in <laughs> Iowa if they had an NHL you think, team. You think Karen's a heckler? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. I, I agree. I'm giving it to Karen. Sorry, um, Buzzfield. Half-ass internet research. <laughs> we're, we're behind on time, so we got to zip through this. Um. Original title, mm-hmm. Shoeless Joe. Mm-hmm. That's the name of the book. Original title for the book, Dreamfield. Mm-hmm. They renamed. Apparently, the test audiences hated Shoeless Joe. They thought it was about like a homeless person mm-hmm. or something, so right. they changed it. Uh, nobody still knows to this day who the voice was. Rumor that it's Ed Harris. Ed Harris. That's the rumor. Mm-hmm. I think it was Ray Liotta. I'm in the. I'm in the camp. Let's not overcomplicate. I feel this. like Ray Liotta would have told us. Ray Liotta hates this movie. He's never even seen <laughs> he it. He hated. He's just he's enchanted. He's not watching it. <laughs> uh, legendarily, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck extras in the film went Parson. Yep. Filming began in '88. Uh, they had to speed it up because Costner had to film Revenge. That's awesome. He's Incredible. like, hey, I gotta have sex with Madeline Stowe. <laughs> the corn grew so fast, became taller than Costner. They had to like put boxes out for him to stand on. Um, this is good. This is some deep dive stuff. Uh, some of the Kinsella farm, some of those scenes were taken on the property of Don Lansing. Mm-hmm. The baseball scenes were shot in the neighboring farm of Al Amiscamp. After the shooting, Al Amiscamp again grew corn on his property. <laughs> Don Lansing said, no, this feels like this could be a tourist destination. Smart. Did not charge for admission or parking. Only revenue from the souvenir shop. 
by the film's 20th anniversary, 65,000 people visited annually. Um, would you ever go? Sold it. I would actually. Yeah. Sold it in 2011 for an undisclosed fee believed to be around $5.4 million. Wow. Winner, Don Lansing. <laughs> Who's age the best? Don Lansing's checkbook. <laughs> it's a great job by him. Uh, final shot of the film, big community oh, can I event. I have one more piece of half-assed internet research. I have a couple more. Okay. Final shot of the film, big community event, 1,500 volunteers. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't figure out how to make it look cool, so they had them turn on and off their high beams. The real Moonlight Graham did play one major league game, but it was in June 1905, not 1922. In real life, Shoeless Joe and Ty Cobb are friends. That was Mm. bullshit, that part. Did Ty Cobb have friends? Apparently, Shoeless Joe. (laughs) This is crazy. The shot of the line drive knocking over the bag of baseballs next to Costner from Shoeless Joe was a real scene and was not supposed to happen. And Costner's reaction was 100% genuine and he stayed in character. And the line drive almost hit him. pro. So committed to his craft. I can't believe he was just, he also just had, had a deuce. Like he had a curveball for this, this. I can't believe his jeans didn't split. His genitals would have been flying out. only they had. (laughs) Uh, James Earl Jones hates baseball, but somehow. That seems right. In this and the Sandlot. In five year span. Does he hate Star Wars too? There are deleted scenes for this movie that I didn't watch because I don't like deleted scenes, but the deleted scenes were Ray getting his hearing checked, Ray buying baseball equipment, Ray getting lost on the way to Fenway, and Ray and Terrence watching batting practice. I take Uh, all those. Yeah. President George W. Bush named this his favorite film. Mm. If Mm. you build it, he will come was voted as the number 39 movie quote by AFI. On the top one. Out of 100. What was your, what else do you have? Uh, W.P. Kinsella. When yeah. he, you know, he, he was mm-hmm. on the set for a lot of the movie. He said he found it incredibly boring. Yeah, I laughed at that. Uh, but that his daughter enjoyed it because she had a little bit of a romance with Ray Liotta on the set. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Incredible. I have a couple. Yeah. Uh, so Ray Kinsella, obviously the author's last mm-hmm. name is Kinsella. So the natural thing to think is named after himself. But he said that he's actually named after two Salinger characters, Richard Kinsella, who's in Catcher in the Rye, mm-hmm. and Ray Kinsella is a character in a Salinger story, a young girl in 1941 with no waste at all. And then Don Buford, one of the coaches who helped the actors learn how to play baseball. Baltimore, Don Buford's father of Damon? Apparently so. Also brought in USC coaches? Yeah. To help advise on the film? Baseball is believable. <laughs> Hey, speaking of believable, Luminary is revolutionizing the way we listen to podcasts. It's an amazing free app launching this spring. Features like a simple user interface, personalized content recommendations. The Luminary app is a better way to listen to the shows you already know and love. Like this one. Because we're spinning off a little 15-episode series. The Rewatchables 1999, which is going to launch next week. With American Pie. The most uncomfortable 90 minutes of Chris's life. I was fine, actually. I think I just shared too much. I'll just say this. We needed Mallory for that one. I, I wish I had been there. I cannot wait There's to There's one listen. specific part that I don't want to give away where I really needed you because Sean and Chris were genuinely horrified for three minutes. I might record a commentary track just on my own. That would be amazing. As I listen Mallory's to director's commentary <laughs> of the American Pie rewatchables. Sean, I think, swallowed his own tongue at one point. Um, Given the movie you're talking about. <laughs> so Luminary Premium caters to podcast fans delivering an incredible network of over 40 ad-free podcasts that will only be available on Luminary, including the Rewatchables 1999. 
and two other ones that we're working on. However, you choose to use Luminary. You'll appreciate what they're doing for podcasting. Download the free app, sign up for Luminary Premium because I like listening to my own shows. But also, Hannibal Burris, Handsome Rambler, Adam Davidson's Passion Economy, Trevor Noah has one. It launches this, uh, this what, April 23rd? Yep. If you sign up for Luminary Premium before April 22nd at luminary.link slash rewatchable, save a dollar for your subscription every month for the rest of your first year. And you'll be entered for the chance to win an exclusive experience with one of the creators like Trevor Noah, who's just on the BS podcast. Luminary.link slash rewatchables. Don't miss out on this limited pre-sale offer. No purchase necessary. Must be 18 years or older, a resident or and a resident of the continental U.S. Void where prohibited. See official rules and details at luminary.link. Okay. Wow. Apex Mountain. I say yes for Costner. I don't think it's Dances with Wolves. I think it's this movie. I think this movie sets up Dances with Wolves. Wow. This, I, think I mean, this is once, a, this, once he pulls this movie off, it's like, wow, that of, guy's the biggest star we have. This is right. the kind of case you take to the Apex Mountain Supreme Court. <laughs> and I don't know where Chief Justice Roberts comes down on what, like, so are we talking about whether it's wolves? Is he ever cooler? He's no. never cooler. He's in this movie, okay, he's cooler so in Bull Durham. No, 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 yes. no, no. You're right. He's cooler in Bull Durham. Yes. I'm almost, I'm almost talking about those movies as a pair. 88, 89. The combo of them, I think. If you pair them, it's- Plus it's, No Way Out, which is no an awesome then. movie yeah. that's aged really well. I can tell you want to do a No Way, no Way Out rewatchable, <laughs> so I'm here for you. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> well, because people would say Dances with Wolves, he wins all the Oscars. Career-wise. He directed it. Everybody yes. said it was going to uh-huh. be a bust. But the reason he was able to direct that movie was because of the role he was on mm-hmm. and the fact is that Robin he was Hood the most bankable actor in all it. Which one? Is Robin Hood before or after Dances Well with? after. Okay. I say it's this. I, I don't think he's ever been more likable, had a higher likability rate across America, had the ability to do more projects, and yeah. everybody was in on Kevin Costner. Yeah. When he started doing Dates with Wolves, people were like, fuck that guy. Why is he going to direct it? And then it came out, and then it was like, it's going to win all these Oscars. And people were like, fuck that movie. Goodfellas should have won. Like, there was already a backlash. <laughs> this movie, there's no backlash. Kevin! She's all in. <laughs> uh, James Earl Jones. I don't really know enough about James Earl Jones's career. I think I, like you could, uh, you know, either being the voice of Darth Vader or yeah. like Othello or something. You know what I mean? Like he's had he's had a lot of really big. This feels like the James Earl Jonesiest kind of just longest lasting performance he's going to have. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a lot of people watching like Othello. You know, so well, I don't I don't know the answer to that. Timothy Busfield was also in 30-something, yeah, right? No, it's 30, so no 30 question, something. this is his. Yeah. And directing, like, I think he directed a bunch of West Wings, and he di- yeah. he's directed, like, a bunch of Sorkin stuff, I think, or he's been in it. I been mean, in a lot of Sorkin. Amy Madigan, yes. For sure. Wow. Um, right? Yeah. Gabby Hoffman, no. No. Iowa. Mmm. Is there anything else in the conversation? Great time for Iowa. Hmm. Late 80s Iowa. Like, is there a Kirk Ferentz game that is is big? I was like, going to say and, Iowa's crucial role in the passage. Did Steve <laughs> Alford make an Iowa run? Like, I, I can't even think of a better of moment stuff. in Iowa history. It had, it had yeah. already grabbed the reins as one of like the the key states and presidential process. Sure, it's it's hard to top literally being a stand-in for heaven. heaven. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's tough to top. That's true. Iowa. Yeah, hundred percent. Um. Baseball. 
Mountains. Might have been the Apex Mountain for baseball. This movie in particular or the 80s? This is the end of the 80s. Great baseball movie decade. We've had just a slew of awesome baseball mm-hmm. movies cresting with this. The National Bull Durham and Field of Dreams. All the 86 80s. World Series, which was like one of the four or five most iconic World Series in the history of the sport. Then you had an 88, you had the Twins. Oh, God. Puckett. And that whole thing. Yeah. And the small town, wait, small town baseball isn't dead. And you had all that. Um, leading toward this movie came out before the Earthquake Series. Yeah. Which was actually like a bummer baseball moment. But that that 89, like just a lot of good stuff happening. Steroids aren't involved yet. Yeah, Conseco and McGuire, they're um, definitely not on steroids. We figured out how to. <laughs> 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 we didn't know. <laughs> Uh, we figured out how These to successfully. Like Pacific Rim. We're like, that's normal. <laughs> <laughs> Bash Brothers, of course. Cleaned up cocaine. Mm-hmm. Figured out how to successfully integrate uh, people other than white people playing baseball. That was good. I don't know. What Just about Shoeless? What about Shoeless Joe? In terms of him being a sympathetic figure. Well, because Eight Men Out and this yeah. back to back. Eight yeah. Men Out, another good baseball movie. Yeah, yes. great baseball movie. David Strathairn. It's, I mean, it's, it's not wrong or unreasonable to say that most people now, I mean, 1919 was a long time ago. Most people now, what they know about yeah, the show and the, and the Black Sox is from this movie. And Eight Men yeah. Out. And yeah. Men Out. Yeah. Not from, oh, well, I, I you know, I, my understanding of when the baseball first had a commissioner is actually because Judge Landis had to rule, you know, that's not. That's not what By the way, about. eight men out for the for the people out there who still read. Anybody still read out there? <laughs> I read. People read books in Craig, your generation read, read books? Not really. No. Yeah. No, they um, just watch Forgetting Sir Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> the Eight Men Out book is really good. It is kind of a staple. If you like reading sports books, it has to be on the list. And it mm-hmm. lays out everything that happened and how unfair a couple of the uh, things were. Yeah, he's a tragic figure. Um the Saul Rubinick, they knew a word. <sighs> I think it's it goes to Eva Braun in the PTA meeting. Beulah? Yeah. That's good. I'm I'm good with that. It's it, it's not Amy Madigan. Oh. Are we sure? Do you have like some notes on Amy Madigan? You're like sure? Yeah, we're at picking nits. I had some Amy Madigan I have notes some of as well. Picking nits. Okay, yeah, let's hear them. But I you can talk me and Amy Madigan for that. Yeah. Beulah's pretty over the top though. I think it works. Yeah. yeah. But it's it's definitely She's literally punching the air. Yeah. <laughs> she's walking through the hall. She's she's sliding into the locker for effect. <laughs> Her post Field of Dreams career certainly would would uh, emphasize that maybe she was lucky to get this part. I don't know who else I would have cast though. Would this would Meg Ryan. Oh, yeah, but if I, I think that they're just like they seem like a normal couple. I think Chris is a little sweet on Amy Madigan in this. I movie. just literally like sweet on Amy. I, I like their relationship. Tiny bit sweet on it's, it. It's entirely <laughs> impossible. I adore my wife. She would never let me do this. Right. Yes. All right. Well, that, that that's the perfect segue, right? <laughs> that brings us to picking nits. First She'd be thing, like, you need an MRI. That's what she would say. <laughs> the first thing I picking nits I wrote was, has anyone's wife ever been this understanding? <laughs> yeah. I. Right. Ever in the history of mankind, other than the wives who she doesn't want him to go to Boston, right? But it's okay to mow their cornfields, <laughs> right? Other than there are those people who marry the serial killers in prison, yeah, when they can only yeah have sex on like the conjugal visits or whatever. Those people are probably more understanding, but it's close. 
hey, I'm going to plow our cornfield to build a baseball stadium. I heard a voice. Cool. Now that's like the 60s. Yeah. That is what this movie is missing, by the way, is plowing a cornfield of a different sort. We need a sex scene <laughs> they in this have movie. sex th- in that mm. one night when the light goes out. But we're we, supposed to imagine. We need, I think we need to be there with them because I we need to understand. That you really should see Revenge and No Way What out. is fueling <laughs> this devotion, yeah. this blind devotion? Because this is a man, Ray, who when he goes to Boston, his first interaction with good old Terry, a person, a stranger who is getting to hear him speak about this for the first time, what is his response? You're seeing a whole team of psychiatrists, aren't you? Yeah. That's how the way he's talking and thinking is greeted. But Annie's response is, follow your bliss, my guy. Yeah. Which is, to your point, very moving and inspiring and maybe even aspirational, but also ridiculous. I think you have to understand that that would have been, to her, it's probably an extension of like the hippie ethos. Well, but she did have the the vision of Fenway Park though. But mm-hmm. n- I'm saying initially she's a moment of doubt. She's like, don't go. You, you got to stay. We're underwater with the farm. And then, and then when he tells her like, I feel like I have to take him to this baseball game. And she's like, Fenway Park, is that the one with the green wall? Like, it's it's an interesting like fantasy reality moment of like that that, that whole thing. But that's like, when I felt like she bought in. I, I'm saying like the initial, when, the very initial decision after they built the farm or built the field. The the montage, the Christmas when he's staring out the window, looking at the baseball park. Man, at that point, every family member she has is like, "What's dude? Let's, Ray's got to go to a mental hospital. Guy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're opening presents. Ray's, <laughs> Ray's staring out at some field during a snowstorm, waiting for a ghost to show up. Like." We got to take right. him to the hospital. <laughs> yes. He's got to go right now. Yes. He needs a straight jacket. Uh, it would have been also like Joe Jackson shows up, complete the mission, replant the corn. Let's get this farm back on its feet. <laughs> yeah. It wouldn't have been like, maybe we could play a 162 game season here. Like, what are we doing? Ray Liotta batted righty in this movie and Shoeless yeah. Joe was a lefty. And this was everybody's biggest nitpick for 30 years. And Very it's tough. kind of indefensible it's because really tough. all they had to do was flip they just could have filmed it and done that thing where they flip it and just put him on the left side and cheated it so you never saw the house in the background. I don't know why they did it this way. It really bothers me. It's Come ba- on, Phil Adam it, Robertson. It's baffling. It's baffling. Bad job by you. Uh, the Fenway scoreboard for the go to distance part, mm-hmm. it says 10.30 p.m. Hmm. And it's like the third inning. But there's no rain delay because we've seen Ray right. driving around earlier. It's always bothered me. It's bothered me for 30 years. <laughs> yeah. And then it's when like, they come on, so this they is so leave. obviously shot after the game. Right. Right. Come on. Right. <laughs> Change the clock. It's not 1030. Just stop. Um, the entire movie was about, this is tough. This is going to hurt your feelings. Okay. The entire movie is about giving a second chance to Ray and his dad, Moonlight Grom, Terrence Mann. Did you say Moonlight Grom like Jacob DeGrom? No, I said <laughs> Moonlight Grom. Grom, the gelato store. Terrence, my, Terrence Mann and Shoeless Joe. It's about giving those four people a second chance in the Black Sox. Um, what about every black baseball player before 1947? Yeah. How did they miss this? It's brutal. Such a bad job. Instead of the fucking White Sox who all cheated, maybe maybe get like Satchel, Satchel Page, Page Cool Papa yeah. Bell. Yeah. Maybe Josh Gibson would yeah. want to play here. And... Why wouldn't Terrence Mann have cared about this? This wouldn't have come up on the van? Like, hey, any any black guys? No, actually, we're just, just white ghosts it's, in the field of dreams. Like, it's such a miss. It's glaring. It's terrible. Oh, my God. 
It's terrible. And then so Phil Adam Robertson, needless, needless to say, said this was his greatest regret. I would fucking hope so. Yeah. <laughs> the fucking black player, black ghosts in the, in the baseball field. It's a bad job. It's, it's awful. the biggest flaw in this movie. So Ray's brother-in-law yells at him. Ray, do you know how much this land is worth? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff on the internet about this. Ray says 2200 bucks an acre. And it's supposed to seem like, oh my God, well, that's so much money. Um, a baseball field's about two acres in size. Oh, okay. <laughs> so he's just not losing a lot of money with this cornfield. It's some money. It's not a staggering amount of money. And the cornfield's, you know, but he's also hundreds he, of acres. It's not like he threw some like pillows out there. Like it, he builds like, the lights are a expensive. Triple A baseball field. Yeah, the electricity is expensive, and has the electricity. Yeah, and it, by the way, wh- why have the lights? Couldn't you just build the field? You need the lights. I, well, I think it's supposed to give it like a kind of ethereal vibe. You they know? do have that nice moment where they address the lights and the way the lights have changed the game. But I had the lights down as a nitpick, just because where did he get those? How does just a regular person in the world go get those? And really, the entire oh, construction of the field, the pace, the precision. It's a perfect baseball field. And if you contrast the actual field and the professional grade lighting to the literal, like you're definitely going to get splinters in your ass, not even like well sanded planks of unvarnished wood. <laughs> With Amy Maddie that are the like bleachers. smashing nails into them. Yeah. It's like, you think that's safe for your child to sit on? Because all your money and time went to these lights. <laughs> <laughs> Who thought any of that was a good idea? It's a hole. Um, all right, this is this is a nitpick from somebody that's seen the movie seven hundred times. Busfield, the brother-in-law, mm-hmm. finally sees the ghost after during Karen the, during the Moonlight Grimes. Yeah, the, that scene, Moonlight Grimes. <laughs> it's like, oh, man, these, don't sell the farm, don't sell the farm, Ray. And Annie says, "Why don't you go inside and get some water?" Mm-hmm. We never see him again. <laughs> He's just gone. <laughs> Would you want him to interrupt the reunion? He's just gone. He's, he just went inside to get some water. Can you imagine if, like, if he, I'm him, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go back outside and see the fucking ghosts again. Ray and John are like about to have the catch and Busfield shows up. He's like, we can charge $20 a car. <laughs> yes. But that's what he would have done. That was his character. I don't think he's like, all right, guys, I'm going to go get a glass of water and watch Family Feud. You guys figure this out with the ghosts. I have. He has to come back. I have a Mark nitpick from that scene, too, but it's the almost exact opposite which is kick him off your premises immediately. He almost murdered your child and tried to steal your home. Yeah, that they, there's some shady editing with that. It's still unclear why he... There's no He kind of grabs apology. her. He's like shaking her, right? He's like, and you got this? Yeah. I'm fighting anyone who yeah, ta- nobody touches, touches my six-year-old like, daughter. That's like not, not even in the 80s was it it's like... It's tough one. Yeah. yeah, they just laugh it off. It should have been like he should have jumped up to talk to Ray and accidentally like Knocked bumped her, her or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what is it? A I guess because Graham walks off, like Mark can see that, and so that is what makes him believe, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, Ray. Uh, hmm. what? That's an that's an interesting thing to talk about. Ray um, never recognized his dad during the scrimmage. We well, had the catcher stuff Catcher's on. Match. Didn't yeah. bat. <laughs> well, he was reviving his daughter. <laughs> no at bats for this guy. He'd be like, wow, that guy looks like my dad. What's happening there? <laughs> guy looks exactly like my dad, the catcher. My dad was a catcher. Wait, Annie. Yeah. Nothing. Three three hours sitting there in the fucking stands. Come on. Um, I It's bothered me forever that Ray's dad was a lousy baseball player. And now I actually feel bad because I did some research on this. It had to be shot 
during this perfect hour when the sun was setting. Magic hour. So they had like 10 minutes, the magic hour. And they had to have this catch. And the actor, Dwyer Brown, he had to have an old school catcher mitt that was like, you know, 85 years old. And it was like rock hard. And he was really worried he was going to drop the the thing. So Mm -hmm. that's why he's Mm -hmm. catching it like he's eight years old. Yeah. But he's trying to catch it with like this. So apologies to Dwyer Brown. Wow. I didn't totally love the way he threw, but I'm not. It wasn't as bad as the kid at the end of The Natural. I mean, he could have he could have definitely cocked it back a little bit, but he's catching it like this because of the glove. All right. Uh, I'm really about to ruin a scene for you. Oh, boy. Okay. Girl, Karen falls off eating the hot dog. Mm-hmm. First, there's a couple holes here. First of all, Annie's going to run in to call the paramedics. Immediately. Costner stops her and says, wait. I have that on my list too, actually. No mom on the planet is stopping there. Yeah. No parent, I would hope. Maybe the mom who lets him chill in the field in the first place. The mom's at another level. Okay. The mom's at another level because they've passed the child out of their body. And (laughs) And I've seen it with my own wife. If your child's hurt, the mom goes to another level and they become superhuman. And she's getting to that house in 2.3 seconds and calling the, she's not like, oh wait, my husband has an idea for my dead child. Right. She's in the house. So that was stupid. But (sighs) why not just carry her four feet onto the baseball field so Moonlight Graham doesn't have to go back? I don't think he turns into the doctor unless he walks off. No, Costner knows. He looks, he's like. He's like, you got to do this. You got to cross the line. Right. Just bring her on the baseball field. But Frank Whaley hasn't, like, that character hasn't been through medical school. That's my take. Like, young Moonlight hasn't gone through medical school, doesn't know. So why does Costner look at him then? Costner's looking at him for his help. And he's a fucking ghost. He's timeless. He can be, he's already lived his life. He has been through medical school. He knows that he's going to be able to save her and that this is all part of the 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 grand design at just play drag here. your choking body five feet so he can stay in the game come on Ray but he that part he doesn't know he doesn't know that he's not going to be able to cross back over until he until that happens All right. so part right? three of how the no holes point. in this scene okay he's already been outside the circle they pick him up as a hitchhiker he wasn't on the baseball field he's already existed outside the baseball I agree with field you about this one because why the, did, why the implication it, is that my big one is about Terrence Mann and the implication is that he will come back right. with this with his long form about heaven. Yeah. And so if he can do that. It's like a Ray Thompson long form. Why can't. My heaven by, <laughs> by Ray Thompson. Why can't Moonlight go back onto the field? Well, just because that's the implication doesn't mean it's true, though. I have that in unanswerable questions. Yeah. Like, is he dead? We can talk about hold that on, when we hold, get to unanswerable questions. But I, uh. I think it's crazy that he could exist outside the baseball field, but now he can't. I think it's crazy that he's a fucking ghost and all these guys are disappearing and coming back. He just can't come back the next day. Well, the, none of them can come off the field. Right. We see can't that come Shula's off show the field. can't cross. Shula's show can't cross. Because then it's over. There's yeah. that moment earlier in the in the film when he's, he's starting to follow Ray back toward the house and then he, he stops and the camera lingers. I get it, but how was Archie rocks. off the field to begin with? Who knows? I don't know. Archie also exists in a completely different timeline. That's he thinks right. it's 1920 or some whatever, 1950. Right. Or he didn't like come that. through the cornfield. He had to be brought there. So when he Go left the, distance, the field, Bill. Go when, the distance with us. When he left the field, he went right to the doors. <laughs> <laughs> became the drummer or the bass player. Uh, any other nitpicks? You have a couple? Uh, 
Oh, well, I'm, I'm just devastated that, that you don't like that scene. I love that scene. I've just seen it 700 times. I had some questions. I think those questions are fair. I think that there's an interesting discussion to have about basically whether you need to understand the rules of the magic at play for, to like this movie. Yeah, I think it's it. the whole thing is supposed to be magic. When James Earl Jones is giving that speech about people will come, they're going to have reserved seats on the sideline. Like, like I don't know. How are they going to have that? It's like, because when you enter this realm, yeah. you enter into a place where dreams come true. So of course there's going to be like a degree of magic to it. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's a blend. It's not just magic. It's faith. Sure. Right. And then yeah. what is faith? Faith is believing in something that you can't see. And so you just kind of have to opt in. And that's why, that's why I actually don't like that Mark can see them at the end because to me, it's like he didn't opt in. He's not a person who is open-minded and open-hearted enough to accept that something like this He's is possible. He's evil in his core. If you're evil in your core, you can't see the field. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be a nice person. Yeah. I for, for for other small nitpicks, you hit most of them. I, I wish that um we had just gotten to like learn more about the ground rules of the park. <laughs> like, what's a ground rule double in the cornfield? Yeah. You know? Oh, that's true. There should have been a scene where they kind of was just searching for the It'd be ball. Funny if you were like trying to shag down a, a fly ball and you just like vanish into heaven. <laughs> oh my god, where'd our left fielder go? I'm sure, Ian Desmond would appreciate that instead yeah. of slamming into like, center. Where are all the baseballs that go into the cornfield going? Yeah. Are they? Is it like Janet's void? Are yeah. they all in Jeremy? Somebody in Bear heaven me? is like Jesus. <laughs> Stop with the baseballs. I'm in heaven. Well, also, I want to understand the physics of it a bit more. If he could, if if uh, Terrence Mann could walk into the cornfield and disappear, then why wouldn't Ray try to do that? Right. Well, or maybe the spirits have to bring him in. Yeah, I think again, that's it's about we're getting deep now. Yeah, what you're pursuing, like what you are actually pursuing yeah. at any given moment in time. Um, one other small nitpick. Yeah, there is a colossal town hall about the salacious, subversive literature. It was moral panic. But no, 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 that's not the nitpick. The nitpick is that at the end of that, only the one Nazi cow is actually opposed. <laughs> no one else in that room yeah. supports her. Well, I, I think don't it's, buy it. It's supposed to be it's a, a little bit point. about like how hysterical people can get together and maybe even believe in something. Like if you mm-hmm. can convince sure. them, I don't know. That scene actually, that should have been a what's age the best because that's kind of what the internet is like now. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, hey, let's go get it. That's go. actually my, my attack. My vision for not necessarily a sequel, but like, Mark is definitely the kind of guy who, after he has his cold drink, comes back out to the field and starts telling all these guys about how walks are really important now. <laughs> <laughs> and is like, like, he's like doing like shifts and he's doing swing plane. <laughs> he's disparaging Shoeless Joe because yeah, he didn't get on base enough. apart Shoeless Joe's game. Yeah, you hit 350, but where was the power? Yeah, seriously. 62 war. <laughs> Mark's Mark's getting a glass of water. Doesn't want to come back out. To He's see like, the- I brought my friend Bill James. <laughs> He's got some notes for you guys. Oh, can I do one more nitpick that yeah. just occurred to me? Actually, talking about Shields Joe's stats, it's often cited that he never committed an error, as though that's like definitive proof that he didn't throw the series. Yeah. How many outfielders are committing errors in the span of one series? He's not playing shortstop. <laughs> And it would have to be really obvious. You'd have to like overthrow the cutoff man or something. Yeah. The Rothstein gambling contingent, man. Yeah. 
Take Mark, me back to Boardwalk Empire. Mark, you feeling better after you almost killed our daughter? How's that glass of water? You want to come back out and see the ghost? No, I'm good. Jeopardy's no, on. You, yeah, seriously. Uh, Best quote. Well, a lot of them. Until I heard the voice, I'd never done a crazy thing in my life. You build it, he will come. You see, that's the sort of crap people are always trying to lay on me. It's not my fault you wouldn't play catch with your father. Uh, hey, Dad, you want to have a catch? Hey, Dad? You want to have a catch? I'd like that. This is Terrence Mann. How you doing on the Easter Bunny? It's such a great <laughs> exchange. Great James Earl Jones's uh, thing is really funny. And then, uh, people will come, Ray. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled on like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard. Rebuilt and erased again, but baseball has mocked the time. This field, this game, it's a part of our past, Ray. It reminds of, of us. It reminds us of all that was once good, and it could be again. Oh, people will come, Ray. Oh, people will come, Ray. People will definitely come. Wow. Thank you. Beautiful. Oh, people will come. I mean, it has to go to that now. That's like when we were it's planning. So good. When we That's were one planning of the best the speeches. When we were yeah. planning yeah. the Bill's like, oh, yeah, it's like podcast click, <laughs> podcast mixed with text. Um, I, I gotta go. The, I have more. I have to go. Hey, Dad, you want to have a catch? Hey, Dad, you want to have a catch? It wins, but I actually found myself freaking out at. Uh, is, is this heaven? It's Iowa. Iowa? Yeah. Because this morning was heaven. That's fucking unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. I was sobbing yeah. at that line. Yeah. Sobbing. That, a couple more? I do. That was that was really high on the list. Um, the exchange between Shoeless Joe and Karen, I think, is quietly a mission statement, not only for the movie, but for life. Are you a ghost? What do you think? You look real to me. Well, then I guess I'm real. Yeah. Like that idea. (laughs) 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 Woo! Yes. We got her. Yeah. I'm a mess. (laughs) That's like. (laughs) Guys, I'm so emotional right now. That's like the most important idea to me. Like in the world, yeah. like my single favorite line from Harry Potter, which as you know is my favorite story, is near the end of the seventh book when I won't spoil Harry Potter for anyone, but it's a it's a it's a Harry Dumbledore exchange, and Harry says, you know, is, is this real or has this all been happening inside my head? And Dumbledore says, Of course it's been happening inside your head, Harry, but why on earth should that mean that it isn't real? Right. And like why do we love stories, right? Why do people invest in anything? Why do these communities spring up around teams, around Game of Thrones, around anything? It's because if you care about something that much, no matter what anybody else thinks of it, if it's valid to them, it doesn't matter. Like, if it's real to you, it's real. Yeah. And that's just a really powerful message. And why do people love this movie? It's not because they think that, that can, this could happen for them. It's because... It's because they put themselves in that position of Ray and they're like, 
I wish something like this could happen. You know, I wish I believed in something that well, it's might even, not have a You know what it is? It's like movies can articulate that kind of longing. And so you, if you see Ray get to have closure with his dad, you'll never get that. Like you can't have that. Right. But you can experience it secondhand. And that's almost, some, sometimes it can feel as good. And it's not as complicated because what if your dad was like, no, I don't want to have a catch. You know what I mean? Like you sometimes like that, that secondary experience of something can feel as it can feel safer, you know? Yeah. That's why I like going back to the 1300s with Game of Thrones. (laughs) Um, You love the Vikings. I have a couple more, and was it actually, maybe in like the twelve eighty range? It's probably yeah. that. Yeah. No, you, it's it's good. Eleven fifty, yeah, something like that. Nah, it's definitely like twelve eighty, twelve ninety. <laughs> this is your best bit. Yeah. Um, off of what you were just saying, a couple other quotes. The again, that conversation between Moonlight Graham and Ray in Mini. He says it was coming this close to your dreams, and then watching them brush past you like a stranger in a crowd. That's an incredible line. And then uh, just seconds later, he says, we just don't recognize life's most significant moments while they're happening. Back then, I thought, well, there will be other days. I didn't realize that that was the only day. That's like a (laughs) gutting idea. Yeah. It's really devastating. And what is the actual dream? What is the field of dreams? It's not about, you know, Moonlight represents this this beautiful possibility of what if you were given a second chance? You know, what if the first chance didn't pan out and you never got it again? Could somebody or something give it to you, give you that gift. But it's not actually about getting just that one at bat. It's like the gift, the dream is ultimately human connection and feeling fulfilled and Mm -hmm. feeling like you achieved something. And that's really beautiful. And it's really sad to think about missing out on that. A lot of great art has been made about people who wanted a second chance with somebody. Yeah. Yeah, most I mean, rom coms. I think I, um, what actually spoke to me this that time was, that was about most rom coms <laughs> is uh, is also though the fact that that we're being asked to like see the totality of these characters rather than and like Ray keeps going up to people and being like, "You missed out on this opportunity to be a baseball player. It must mm-hmm. have haunted you your whole life." Mm-hmm. And this guy's like, "I've saved a lot of people's lives. I've helped so many people. Like if I had never, if I had gotten." a hit that day or if I got in a bat or whatever, like maybe I never become a doctor and you think about all the people's lives he's changed. And the same thing goes for Terrence Mann where he's just like, I just didn't want to be this thing anymore. That's not who I am. I read, yeah. I like, I, I, I think I, I want my privacy back. Like, mm-hmm. and we're asked to see like the totality of, of a character in that way. And not to just be like, this is who I fixed you as being. And that's ultimately what's happening with his dad. Cause he gets right. to see his dad is a, in a different way. Not just the guy who is like, I reject you and your counterculture bullshit. Yeah. It's actually, I think an underrated movie in terms of how it explores like the idea of perspective, Yeah, totally. you know, and the context and how your particular standing in your, in your life or in a moment in time influences how you perceive what other people are doing and, how people support each other or fail to support each other, and then the kind of the, the lingering consequences of, of those decisions. There's also some comedy, though. You know, it's like very funny when oh, it's a super funny movie when uh, <laughs> when he says the voice is back and and he says, "Oh Lord, you're supposed to build a football field now." That's <laughs> yeah. great. I love that one. Yeah. Officially, my major was English, but really, it was the '60s. <laughs> I love that. That's in the opening span. What else? I love, I love. What do you want? And he gives that speech. And he's like, No. Yeah. What do you what want? What do you want? <laughs> he just points at those three guys at Fenway, got their arms crossed. That's great. What's um, 
We got to wrap this up, son. So we got to we got to move. Could this be remade as a ten episode Netflix show? Absolutely not. I wouldn't touch this one. It'd be an interesting show, though. Probably unanswerable questions. Did Terrence Mann ever come back from heaven? Right. I think he comes back. So a popular line of questioning on the internet is, has he been dead the whole time? Right. Is he just dead in the movie? And that's why he's able to access the cornfield. Oh, wow. But. How would they go to the Red Sox game? Well, there's. Well. So Maybe he's, he's just there by himself. I mean, the only pr- time that anyone outside of Ray and Annie ever really acknowledged Terrence Mann is the dad calling. That's the one, that's the biggest counterpoint. Because he's missing. Right. The article in the paper about him being missing, the call from the yeah. father. Oh, then no. I don't think he's dead. I just don't know. He's not dead. I like, like that theory, though. I, it's like, so he's going to come back and be like, I'm Terrence Mann. J.D. Salinger hasn't written since Catcher in the Rye comes out <laughs> of heaven and is like, guess what? Heaven is real and it's the 1919 Black Sox are there. <laughs> and no Negro League baseball players. Yeah. I have a couple. Yeah. That was. Wait, that was, I, I had like, oh, go. go ahead, though. No, you no, can no. do a couple. I'll throw one out there for you. Yeah. Not to sully the emotional high that we're all on right now and the very poignant message of the movie, but do you guys think that Ray ever ends up feeling bad about uh, commodifying? <laughs> His beautiful emotional breakthrough with his father. The movie ends with, we'll just charge them all 20 bucks to come look at it. <laughs> you think any guilt ever set in from that? No, no, not at all. No, not in the least. <laughs> I have some questions about that business plan, though. Yeah. Where do all the cars park? Plow more corn. Probably unanswerable questions. Where'd they park? Where'd they go to the bathroom? Piss in the field. If they're all hippies, they're used to parking their car on the side of the road and walking to Woodstock anyway, so it's fine. (laughs) Did did anybody become suspicious at any point that they're just in a long line of traffic in Iowa? I mean, as soon as you're like, okay, so 200 cars are pulling up to this cornfield. Like, at one point, it was like a thousand. The government gets involved, you know? When did the X Files come over? Uh, Another unanswerable (laughs) question How did they talk the umps into coming back? What was it for the umpires? (laughs) Wow. That's a great one. The parents were like, it wasn't really that fun to be an umpire. I'm good here in heaven. Yeah. I don't really feel like being yelled at again by Chick Handel. <laughs> Maybe they're like, oh, I, I, you know, I sense the pitch framing is about to become a key part of the game. I really want me to make sure I understand how I can look over the left shoulder. and Unanswerable, who is the voice? Mm. Talked about that. Unanswerable, if Archie was a ghost who could live outside the baseball diamond, why couldn't he leave the baseball diamond? Only the good people could see the ghosts. Is that our takeaway? I think it's only the people who believe see the ghosts. It's about opening yourself up to believing. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be a good person. I don't think it's about goodness. I don't don't think it's necessarily like a judgment on morality. I think it's about some sort of spiritual awakening. Okay. Right? Field of Dreams 2 in the post-steroids era (laughs) kind of writes itself, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 48 years from now, Bonds, McGuire, they all come back. <laughs> Baseball is a part of them. I wish I hadn't done They're what skinny. I did. <laughs> Field of Dreams 2 could also be Ray decides to try to really pursue to have the Negro Leaguers come back yeah. and play in the field. Um, that would be amazing maybe, to so see maybe, like Bonds and McGuire out there like, my neck is a normal size. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have back knee anymore. Size seven and a half hat. <laughs> yeah. This fits like a glove. <laughs> Field of Dreams 2 could happen. 
Maybe it's a cartoon. Um, what else do you have for an answer, Mo? Well, I wanted, to, uh, I wanted to just quickly continue a tradition that we started together in the natural pod. You know, once again, newspaper headlines play a key role in mm. this film. So why didn't we see some of these headlines? Just a few for you. <laughs> You've written some headlines? <laughs> I have like 20, but I'll just read a few. <clears throat> Local farmer plows cornfield, burns life savings to build baseball field for the living dead. Where was that headline? <laughs> That's in the Chicago Tribune. Farmer creates baseball field-shaped portal binding poltergeist players to chalky confines. Local hippie farming family claims to see baseball men playing on cornfield. That's like National Enquirer. (laughs) Crazed farm... (laughs) Crazed farmer harasses Boston Jewish community (laughs) in search of black author. Uh, That'd have been a good one. Iowa farmer kidnaps area author, forces him to watch meaningless athletics Red Sox game after voice prompts him to ease his pain. That started at 930. What was your favorite voice line, by the way? Uh, we have ease his ease pain, pain, go is, the distance. If you build it, he will come. I think if you build it, he will come. That's the iconic one, often misquoted. Yeah, because obviously, they will as come, they right? will come. Yeah. But I, I personally like ease his pain the most. I think that's. I'm a, trying to. I'm trying to imagine what uh, what the Trump tweet would be about this. Ray Kinsella, who voted for Hillary, is a giant loser, bringing back cheaters. <laughs> Sad. Uh, couple more very quickly. Ghost exhibition baseball game halted after child suffers 10-foot fall from bleachers only to nearly choke on hot dog. She's really mauling that hot dog. Uh, what would the 538 headline be? Uh, Pulitzer winning author disappears into Iowa cornfield. All authorities suspect foul play. <laughs> that actually would be a headline. Um, who won the movie? Costner. Costner. Or Iowa. Costner. Only Costner could have done this. Only Costner. You don't yeah. think Tom Hanks could have done this? The wet eyes are only him, and like the like the like the way he looks out over like a twilight cornfield is mm-hmm. not like replicable. You really felt like he was from there. I actually thought the key scene with Ray was when he's interacting with all the old farmers. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. it actually made you believe that this wasn't that ridiculous. Yeah, he's, and then he it's feels a like a transplant, but also like he's fully like absorbed into that community and way yeah. of life. Great I hair. forgot. Um, he really knows how to wear that Berkeley. I forgot t-shirt. to ask you what you thought grown up Karen was like. I think that grown up Karen is living in LA, getting her Cantor's biweekly dinner order, and <laughs> arguing with her. I'm just describing transparent. <laughs> <laughs> She's my age. Uh, she definitely wrote a book about this, but it wasn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> she might have tried to act, and now she's on a sp- like TED doing TED talks about why you shouldn't let your father like yeah. destroy your farm. My dad ruined my life. Yeah, she started one of those like ghost hunt shows. Yeah, hunt. on oh, some yeah. sort of she's so, some she's channel in the paranormal. that's on like the yeah seven hundreds on your cable band. She produced now. Paranormal Activity. <laughs> uh, I forgot to ask. Did you see your dad as a ghost? He turned out to be the catcher. You introduced him to the family. You take the walk. Um. Was there anything you would have that should have come up that didn't come up? They moved pretty quickly to want to have a catch. I well, better be he's going. walking away. Yeah, because I think that they're both having like a fugue state, kind of like, is this really happening? Right. And he's Are like, going to acknowledge that it's happening. Yeah, right. So I think that they wouldn't be like, 
by the way, the Vietnam War. <laughs> did you, <laughs> Let's talk did about you need that. an I'm sorry from Costner, though? I think it, it's, he says it. I, one of the catches, I'm sorry. Yeah, I agree with that. How about I'm sorry? Like <laughs> <laughs> Mark should say I'm sorry. <laughs> How about this? Just apologize. I want my I want my son to apologize after he leaves home seven age seventeen and oh tells God. me Larry Bird. Larry Bird was a loser. Well, if he if he builds you a basketball court yeah. out in his cornfield, won't that be enough of an apology? Court. court of dreams. Yeah. That's how you would remake this movie. You'd make it a basketball movie and you'd set it like in a city yeah. and do it that way. Uh all right. I think we covered everything, plus we're at the two hour mark. Mally Rubin, Chris Ryan. Thanks, Bill. This was a pleasure and a blast as always. Wonderful. Don't forget about the Rewatchables 1999 on Luminary started next week. Next movie we are doing on the Rewatchables is Mean Girls. Wow. Very excited for that one. And uh, don't forget about The Watch with Chris Ryan. Don't forget about Binge Mode with Mallory Rubin. Thanks, the Mother Bill. of Dragons. And the, uh, and the Twitter show that you guys have together. Hashtag Talk the Thrones. Right after Woo. every Thrones episode. Breaking it down. Five left. Ugh. You gonna cry again? Oh, for sure. Okay. She hasn't even begun to cry. All right. Thank you. Thank you, folks.